You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast. I remember one of the projects we did, we moved a new project from a zero balance sheet to 300 million US dollars within wow. 36 months. There is an immutable or for layman's term, a bulletproof component to blockchain that's not found in traditional ledgers. You know, it's interesting that the mining sector is called the extractive industry. That's a very troubling description. So if you're not transparent, if you're not inter-trading on decentralized ledgers at scale, we may never know really the tail end of where that 450 billion is ending up. Stay tuned as we bring you inspiring people who are unlocking Africa's economic potential. You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast with your host, Tessa Adamu. Welcome to the Unlocking Africa podcast, where we find brilliant people who are doing brilliant things to unlock Africa's economic potential. This episode, we have a very special guest. We have Shadrach Kubiane, aka the Blockchain Baron of Africa. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Shadrach. How are you? Excellent. Uh, thank you for such a warm welcome. Greetings to you. Greetings to the audiences. It's great to be here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. And I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Please introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about Shadrach Kubiani. Most certainly. So in keeping with uh, our family's three principle uh, rule, I think I'll just touch on three elements in terms of the making of the man in front of you right now. You know, I am a villager at heart, being the first point. I grew up living off the ground. I think that has tended to shape my trajectory in terms of who I am today. And of course, I've spent some time in corporate with my last corporate role being with Deloitte. And currently as the co-founder of Coronet Blockchain, I get to relieve my, my childhood dreams. Sometimes I'm in the boardroom, other times I'm on a tractor. So it's a, it's a convergence of both worlds where I often say it clearly took 30 plus years uh, for the blockchain baron of Africa to be in the making. That's just a bit about me. Oh, I love that, Shadrach. You've given us a little bit of insight into, I guess, your 30-year journey. So how did you go from being a baby to a boy to them being known as the blockchain baron of Africa? Please just give us a bit more information regarding that journey or that transition. Yep. Most certainly, most certainly. Growing up in a village, being a problem solver was a given because unlike those that were privileged to grow up in the big cities, as a boy, if you're in the big city, you may open the cupboard and breakfast will be there. You may open the fridge, your milk and other things will be there. Yes. But the problem solver in me, I had to grow up uh, cultivating the soil, planting seeds, harvesting, grinding the mealies, making and even cooking it. And of course, looking after cattle, milking cattle. So what that did to shape my worldview is that I appreciate hard work. I, I may not like yes. it all the time, but I appreciate it, number one. Number two, a certain work ethic is in my memory that later when I'm in corporate, it saw me shooting out the lights in terms of bringing products and projects to market at record time. I remember one of the projects we did, we moved a new project from a zero balance sheet to 300 million US dollars within wow. 36 months. 
of it being in the space. Just to put it in context for the audiences, it took the closest competitor 13 years to touch that type of a balance sheet. So that's the villager. That's the problem solver. He's just doing normal things that he knows how, whether it's milking cattle or it's getting value out of uh, balance sheet possibilities. Fast forward a little bit. I end up in a private consulting practice doing some exciting things on the continent. And that led to a segue into blockchain because a, a, a request from my former Deloitte colleague uh, led to us ending up in the informal sector to help her to free up her business that was trapped in a handbag. She was trading out of a handbag, selling human hair extensions. Fast forward to 36 months, the golden number, we have evolved that startup or that, that informal uh, trade from 500 US dollars to 2 million US dollars, wow. which was quite a decent living. And that led to a couple of people who wanted to sign us checks. One of those is the IBM Global that led to us building our blockchain platform to fix Africa's supply chains. So you've touched upon how you've supported companies to, I guess, grow via blockchain. Yes. I have a basic to intermediary understanding of yep. blockchain. So for those out there who don't know about blockchain, can you briefly describe or explain what blockchain is? Most certainly. So I think on the one part of your question that you asked, uh, helping businesses to grow using blockchain is what we are heading into now as we finalize our build. But my muscle memory, I've always helped businesses to scale via management consulting. And that's not possible at scale for Africa. So okay. that's why I had to leverage blockchain. And just a bit on what it is, think of blockchain as a ledger. A ledger, maybe you can call it a diary. But unlike it being a diary in your closet or on your desk in London, in Johannesburg, it's a common digital diary that we can all log in it and see the same set of data, the same set of facts, the same set of either movement of currency or movement of goods or item. The reason why I give that picture is because that is why a word that is thrown around in my sector is called decentralized, meaning yes. an all-purpose and all-inclusive access. Very important. The second part, of course, is that it's immutable. We all would like to know that the diary won't go missing or the diary won't be edited in such a way that some facts are kind of like uh, 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 kind of like moved across the ledger in favor of a certain trade party so it's very important that it be bulletproof so there is an immutable or for layman's term a bulletproof component to blockchain that's not found in traditional ledgers be they in banking be they in software as a service those are the, the, the two takeaways i would like to share with the, the audiences you mentioned that your management consultancy services can't be delivered at scale in Africa without the use of blockchain technology. So would you say the use of blockchain technology in Africa is different to the rest of the world? That's a good question. That's a good question. I think my leap into blockchain was to ensure that the management consulting insights or muscle memory of 15 years can now be delivered through blockchain because I was just a one man. I had a modest team of about 20. We couldn't fix Africa, but if we evolve Africa into the blockchain, 
then Africans can fix Africa with our uncentralized ledger. And is blockchain applied in a similar way to Africa than elsewhere in the world? The clear answer is no. That's because geographically and economically and socially, these the, the DNA of these regions or countries is not the same. Let me give you an example. Uganda. Uganda's economy is made up of up to up to 94% being in the informal economy. And that's an interesting thing because yes. there's an there's an inverted pyramid effect when you look at Norway, one of the established economies. Only four to six percent of Norway's of Norway or Norwegian economy is actually made up of the informal sector or what they call in, in Norway the hidden economy. But so 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 so, so you wouldn't. I mean, in, in Norway, there's those Nordic banks that are already using blockchain on uh, what do you call it on WeTransfer. It's not WeTransfer. I, I think it is WeTransfer. They're using a certain use case where nine Nordic banks are taking their formal economy into what do you call it global finance or rather uh, trade finance rather. Yes, that's a different use case in Africa. In Africa, the use of blockchain as a priority. How do you fix our land registries? How do you evolve informal to the formal economy? I mean, only 1% of Africa's uh, economy is, 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 is major enterprises, while the, the 99% is small to medium. So how do you level the play field for this uh, uneven, uneven height type of companies? How do you uh, address uh, fluctuating currencies such as the Naira that has had a very emotional uh, uh, window span in the last decade? So yes, it's not a one size fits all blockchain or any, any solution that comes into whether Africa or emerging markets must change its jacket to maybe consider a, a, a what do you call it, a, a different attire so that it is acclimatized to the terrain in which it wishes to increase adoption. So it could be said that blockchain technology could be or is pivotal to Africa's economic development and also recovery from the COVID pandemic. Would you say that blockchain is late to Africa or has it arrived just on time? Very good question. And, and for the benefit of the audiences, I will say, yes, it is late. And I'll say, no, it's actually just in time. <laughs> uh, look, uh, <laughs> if, if memory serves me right, in 1852 is when the first mining contract was awarded. I think it was in South Africa. That actually triggered a mining boom for the continent. Whilst mining has been around for more than 2,000 years on the continent, with the likes of um, uh, 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 Musa Mansa of West Africa and others, they made billions, if not trillions, uh, with mining. But it was uh, mining and other trade. But it was never at a commercial scale. It was, it was never part of the industrial revolution. But that contract awarded to a mining contractor, it triggered uh, a, a mining boom as we know it today at a commercial scale. That is not without its headaches because a lot of value uh, was, was driven out of the continent, even through colonialism and before and after colonialism via, you know, it's interesting that the mining sector is called the extractive industry. 
That's okay. a very troubling. That's a very troubling description. When any trade is, is labeled for its extraction, uh, not replenishment, not synergy, not common value. So it's largely taken out of the ground. When value is expunged out of the ground, when it is expunged away from a decentralized ledger, then at the end of this conversation. X amount of uh, 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 volumes could have left DRC mines towards the telecom sector, and we wouldn't know it because it might have left via my second point, the illicit currency outflows on the continent. Uh, there is too much margin for error, for non-disclosures or under-disclosing uh, to a point whereby currently the African Continental Free Trade Agreement Six two to add what four fifty billion U.S. dollars into the African economy. Our calculations as a firm have shown that that can actually be achieved in five years by by creating nothing new. If we just evolve all the sectors that are responsible for the illicit currency outflows onto the blockchain, so that there'll be value for the government, value for the communities, and value for the people in a transparent, traceable manner. So. Between those two, I will say blockchain is a bit late. It should have been here, what, uh, like in 1852? But then I will say, yes, blockchain is just on time because my calendar clock, which is looking at Saturdays, not months, not days, but Saturdays, we are only 672 Saturdays away, 672 away from the 1st of January, 2035. That's when Africa's population is going to double beyond 2 billion. The amount of sheer volumes of opportunity in those chaos necessitates that we retool and rethink and reshape our economies uh, onto transparency, onto the truth machine at scale so that clear value is identified and clear value is protected within what I would call, I'm going to use a, a water sector language, within the catchment of Africa as a lake of value. Okay, that's brilliant. You touched upon the transparency element, and I think that's one thing about blockchain that first sparked my interest and something I love about blockchain is that it offers full transparency, meaning that it's extremely difficult to change or cheat the network. Yeah. So from a African perspective, you touched upon the mining industry and obviously DRC and some of the difficulties and challenges that industry and I guess the country has faced. What benefits does blockchain provide with regards to that? If we step outside of mining and DRC, what other benefits can we see from blockchain within Africa? Very good question. Very good question. And I would look at the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, which is now one full year, uh, one year, one month uh, 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 post-launch. One of the, the goals of the agreement is to lift 30 million Africans out of poverty, is to increase the Made in Africa brand, meaning products produced yes. in Africa, lift them uh, beyond the 550 billion US dollar mark by powering manufacturing, and to also ensure that uh, the, 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 the value that is more than 450 billion US dollars now exchanges hands within the continent. Those are great aspirations. Where does transparency come in? How does blockchain as a lever for socioeconomic development play in that space? It's one thing to say 450 billion uh, US dollars is being exchanged, but how do we know through complex, 
complex offshore and multiple company incorporations. That value is actually not leaving our shores, like how we have been home to illicit currency outflows. So if you're not transparent, if you're not uh, uh, inter-trading uh, on, uh, on decentralized ledgers at scale, we may never know really the tail end of where that 450 billion is ending up. We may never know uh, uh, the, the configuration of, the, uh, of our supply chains. At the moment, if you are to think about it, uh, voting, voting away from supply chains, voting. Democracy is not possible at scale in Africa without blockchain. Democracy is not possible. We will continue to have a coup d'etat like now. Uh, some people started early in, in Burkina Faso. They've already uh, displaced uh, the one who sat on the throne. That's a very a bit of an early start and it's setting the wrong, the wrong tone. So with destabilized government, it's not, it's not possible to have stable uh, trade environment. And with non-transparency in a trade environment, it's not possible to have, uh, what do you call it, fair trade or shared value across the first mile and the last mile of the supply chain. Right now, let me tell you, without transparency, here's how the deal is. Let me illustrate with my mug. In Ethiopia, we send, or across East Africa belt, we send uh, raw coffee beans out to the West. They actually send one cent for every coffee mug that they sell in the West across US, across Europe. They sell one cent, but what are they retaining in the West? They return anywhere between four to eight dollars. That is what you get when there's no transparency, because that farmer back in the in rural or on the farm doesn't actually see that one cent is a raw deal. And even if they see, they can't navigate the 20, 40 middlemen that are actually uh, what do you call it, hogging value. Transparency switches on the light. Transparency evens the the the, 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 the play field. Transparency causes voter count of or democracy to be transparent. No more, no more vote rigging. No more taking over countries at night. And and if you have power, we see why how you got it and how you are administrating it. So transparency is overdue to the continent. So that uh, law and behold, that four fifty billion is not actually traded within the country. I mean the continent while it actually is shipped off at night. Okay, that's a very interesting point. I'd like to probably delve deeper into that because you've mentioned in terms of international trade and the transparency that's required or the benefits of transparency to benefit the African economies. Yeah. One thing I'd like to discuss a bit more is that as Africans, we always assume that international trade means trading with markets outside of Africa. But, you know, if yeah. I'm in Nigeria and I trade with someone in Ghana or in Kenya or South Africa, that's still international trade. So from a intra-Africa trade perspective, how can blockchain yeah. be utilized to improve African economies or African markets that's a very good question. I'm going to lean uh, in a bit on Made in Africa brand. The Made in Africa brand, unlike the Made uh, in the US or Made in Europe, those brands have been enjoying the limelight over over the seasons. Whereby, if it's if it's a German vehicle. I assume it's got precision. I assume it's quality. I assume that it will deliver performance beyond my expectations. But if it's an African-made automotive, which is the sector we are trying to enter now, would I be forced to assume historically by historical data or historical biases 
that if this vehicle is made in Africa, then it's of inferior quality, then I can't trust it. Why is that? So if blockchain is deployed at scale, which is what we are pushing for yes. in our adoption trajectory, then we will not see value being hemorrhaged out of the made in Africa brand. I'll give you an example. In Nigeria, much similar to other markets across the continent, you, you get a tendency of the craftsmen uh, partly being 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 pushed by the market to actually slap a, a, a very unusual label on their brilliant crafts. They will make a shoe from getting the leather, broker it from as a raw material, shape it into a, a brilliant shoe. But here's where the Made in Africa brand has been harmed. Just before they complete it, they will put Made in Italy, Made in this other territory. That is really bizarre. We owe it to that craftsman and the crafts communities of Africa. We owe it to them to deploy blockchain so that it can show the, the, the different tiers of the process through which his, his craftsmanship has de displayed quality, has displayed precision, and has, has displayed the proudly African brand we want to stand for. Another last example on this point. You know, I mean, I'm a big fan of coffee. Sometimes I'm told by South African uh, retailers or coffee shops, this one is from Rwanda. This one is from Colombia. This one is from Ethiopia. But there is no way to tell whether I'm actually uh, drinking foreign coffee that has been hogwashed to actually come across as a Rwandan coffee bean. We cannot have that in an inter-trade where Africa has to do business with amongst each other. When it says this is from Abuja, it better be from Abuja. When it says this is from Accra, Ghana, or this is from the, the homeland, or it's from the rural uh, remote land of, of Ghana or, 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 or Cote d'Ivoire, it better be from there. If, if it says here that no children were harmed in the production of this raw cocoa, uh, uh, as is the case in, in Cote d'Ivoire, whereby sometimes uh, child labor is deployed very, very bizarrely. If it says no child labor was involved, it better not be. That's why transparency is very key to clean up house, to, to, to really do some housekeeping so that the Made in Africa brand will not carry the scourge of inferior perceptions or the scourge of deploying child labor at times or, or carry the scourge of our craftsmen uh, uh, appearing to be apologetic or, or, or bend over when it comes to uh, showcasing their best on the global scale. I agree. I mean, outside of this conversation, there are probably some people who are listening and thinking, this sounds fantastic, but it also sounds complicated and expensive. So say for instance, if I own a small business in Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya and Ghana, how, why, and in what situation would I implement some form of blockchain technology? That's a, that's a very good question. You know, there used to be a saying before Netflix, before Blockbuster, uh, be, before maybe Nollywood got to where it is now, there used to be a saying of this movie is coming to a cinema near you. There used to be that saying, you know? <laughs> I'm probably giving away my age. I think you're giving away both of our ages. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. So why is that important? Uh, be on the lookout as a small business or a solopreneur or a family business. 
Be on the lookout on the reforms of your local economy as to how the Africa continental free trade is arriving in your neighborhood, number one. Number two, we are intending to bring, to bring blockchain into every neighborhood. We are on that trajectory. So be on the lookout. Why am I saying that? Because blockchain for small businesses or any business is a team sport. It's, it, it takes a community. And community is something that us as Africans have kind of like steered clear away from, even though our values, our proverbs, and our muscle memory is pointing towards a uh, community. We have been divided to such a fractured, fragmented existence where we find it in we find it weird that brother must do business with brother, that that industry must interlock with that industry. So yes, we are intending to ensure that uh, ecosystems and communities in trade and in countries and in rural and urban centers are coming on the blockchain. So yes, watch the space is coming to a cinema near you to either resolve food security for smallholder farmers bringing uh, uh, crops to the main cities or to resolve our waste management or to resolve our fiscal challenges at the truth and transparent machine is being wheeled into your community. Be on the lookout for it, like how I used to look out for the ice cream van when I was growing up in the village. <laughs> That's a beautiful image. Yeah, yeah. So you've given us some great kind of examples in terms of how and why small businesses should implement blockchain technology in Africa. So from a personal point of view, can you give any past examples that you've been involved in? I think you previously mentioned about the hair business that you help transition Absolutely. to a two million pound turnover company. Can you give us just a bit more detail in terms of how you did it, the mechanisms behind that as well? Most certainly. So before I touch on that personal venture where we were able to scale from 500 US dollars to uh, two million uh, US dollars, before I touch on that, let me mute my mic to everyone else in the audience. I want to single out the small business owner. I want to just amplify my mic in that section over there. Dear the small business owner, you are not going to touch growth if you're not willing to be transparent, if you're not willing to be compliant, if you're not willing to play a team sport, if you're not willing to maybe have a collaborative mindset, where not everyone is your competition. Some people in there have to be your collaborators. Why am I addressing the small business owner in that fashion before I put on the table my personal uh, 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 experience? I'm saying that because blockchain is the vehicle that takes us to that destination where we are collaborating, we are transparent, we are complying with regulators, and we are complying with quality standards standards and we are growing stronger together our outputs are much bigger than for, for a single entity that's the backdrop i want you to keep when my ex-colleague came from deloitte and said listen shadrach and the team i fell on hard times i'm busy selling human hair extensions out of a handbag i'm trying to make a living i've got four kids to support can you guys help me and my husband they faced not only growth ceilings and blind spots, they also faced certain misconceptions of what business is. They thought business is 
the, uh, postpone paying tax as long as you can because you're just trying to feed a family. Meanwhile, if you configure your business in such a way that it is compliant with regulatory expectations, then you can do what's called being included in the mainstream economy. And when you're included in the mainstream economy, you can get things like credit finance. You can get things like trade finance. You can get things like uh, play a role in consortium ecosystems that are bigger together. So the first thing that we had to do, even before blockchain, we had to ensure that there's a shift in mindset, there's a willingness to comply, and we also made sure that we, we rescue her out of the handbag into four bricks and mortar branches, because while the e-commerce or, 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 or the digital economy is alive and well, as Africans, we are still a bit traditional. We still prefer a physical venue that is supporting an e-commerce venture. So we had to move it into four bricks and mortar uh, 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 branches, two of them, just for the fun of it, my co-founder and wife placed them inside five-star hotels. What that did, it helped to clean up uh, her image. It helped to reposition her to, to, for a premium ask. So if, a, if there's a small business out there that I'm amplifying my microphone in their, in their section of the podium, in, the, in their section of the virtual podium, make sure that you are actually displaying brand excellence in everything that you do. You may not afford to set up in a five-star hotel, but in everything that is in front of you, be transparent, be clear, be excellent. If you play that kind of a team sport, then you are a candidate when blockchain comes to a cinema in your neighborhood for you to naturally segue onto the blockchain ledger and repeat the same sort of muscle memory in transparency, honesty, integrity, and brand excellence that you are doing outside the blockchain. You will then be amplified when your joint efforts are actually part of the sector being reformed uh, to a greater value yield. I like the way that you've addressed small businesses because I think a few people are probably listening thinking that this doesn't apply to me. I don't use blockchain, but I'm assuming that if you're a small business and you utilize some form of mobile money, fintech or payment solution, I guess you're somehow already using blockchain technology. Am I correct? That is correct because uh, a certain, I mean, look at the, 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 the currency inflows. Last year, of the five billion US dollars that was apportioned to African startups, uh, more than two billion went to fintechs. I must admit, not all fintechs are using blockchain, even though we are seeing a growing number of fintechs, especially those uh, that are helping uh, uh, Africans in the diaspora with uh, to remit or with remittances. Those ones are actually using a combination of fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies. So that actually makes uh, Africa the, 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 what do you call it, the second biggest blockchain adopter in the crypto or the finance sector. I think last year, about 105 billion US dollars within the crypto economy in Africa alone exchange hands. So we are seeing that, but other fintechs are still kind of like playing catch up to really, uh, what do you call it, to incorporate the, the capabilities of blockchain into their business models. But we are seeing an adoption there, even as uh, blockchain is going, is moving from theory to mainstream. And I'm right in believing or assuming or stating that Africa are world leaders in fintech. Why is that? How has Africa managed to position itself as a world leader when it comes to the fintech industry or landscape? 
Very, very, very good question. It reminds me of a good friend of mine from 20 years ago. His name was Arthur Skimit. I'm probably not pronouncing his German uh, surname properly there, but his name is Arthur from Germany. He, he was a doctor. He came to South Africa in order to, 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 to leverage our global best practice in medicine uh, at one of the Johannesburg-based uh, Barra Kwanath Hospital. I think it's, it's, it's the largest, if not the second largest on the continent. So one of the things that he said, to cycle back to your fintech, why are we leading on the fintech frontier as a continent? One of the conversations we had, I asked him, so, I mean, uh, you, you always tell me that Johannesburg is dangerous and this and that. Why did you come to my, to my dangerous neighborhood as you perceive it? As you perceive it, he went like, well, my friend, I tried to go to the US. I tried other parts of Europe. I couldn't find such an incredible place in the world where a doctor could see every type of bullet wound, knife wound, and every everyone in one day. Meaning that the, the, the type of violence that sometimes happen, not in all parts of South Africa, not in all parts of Joburg, but in certain parts of Joburg, they will in opportunity for him to learn how to address certain wounds. So coming back to FinTech, Africa is laden with chaos and many problems in terms of financial exclusion, in terms of corruption, in terms of legacy banking systems that are too broken to actually be inclusive of African and too inefficient in their configuration. So FinTech is like a hammer that located a perfect nail in terms of an environment in which to drive a FinTech agenda and drive the FinTech economy from the front lines because putting it uh, like very bluntly, Africans are fed up of being excluded or being dictated to by legacy systems that worked in Europe. They're not working in Africa. Uh, the banking industry is 200 years old, but it couldn't include Africa holistically. Uh, 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 hence, riding on the on the back of Mpesa and other fintech uh, uh, successes like Cellulent, among others, we are now seeing Africans saying, all right, we're gonna co-create the Africa we want parallel to the traditional banking systems. We are, we are in too many chaos for us to outsource the, our financial services to the West. So that's why FinTech is an enabling ground to the thriving of the Africa we want. Oh, beautifully. You kind of touched upon Africa adopting or inheriting legacy systems from Europe. Yep. FinTech in Africa, would you agree, has been implemented in a practical, almost Africa-centric way? which has probably contributed to its success. So if we kind of take that on board, do you think that all blockchain solutions used in Africa should be implemented in a Africa-centric way and why? You know, think about innovation. For even outside blockchain, for any innovation or technology to stick uh, in a locality where it is being implemented, it will have to be tailored or wrapped around the unique nuances, the societal forces, and most importantly, the tallest of pain points that are in that locality. And it must be delivered in a manner that people in that locality would rather engage or interact with it. So if that around an around Afrocentric expectations, 
uh, lo and behold, I, I'm afraid they're not going to stick. They're not going to gain wider adoption. So to every founder out there who's running a fintech or running a blockchain use case, make sure that you spend a lot more time with boots on the ground than you do up there in the ivory towers of innovation. You need to balance your time between uh, 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 developing Africa solutions and spending time with boots on the ground because that's the only way your solution will stick and will be wrapped around the pain points and the expectations of the people whom you are uh, uh, hoping to adopt into your ledger. So do you believe that this approach increases the adoption of a solution or technology and increases people's trust in the technology? Most certainly, most certainly. Look at the politicians in different parts of Africa. They do what's called campaigning or conversing. I would wish that they replace those words with connecting and bonding. Whenever they go to reach even the far-flung remote areas, what they're saying is, this is me, and this is my manifesto. This is what I stand for. These are my promises. Now, whether those promises are kept or not is a different story altogether. We are seeing some cases that are actually just flying over the people at the moment instead of touching down. And we are also seeing some beautiful cases that are actually being fashioned around the specific needs of the people on the ground. And that's an interesting thing to, to, to behold on my front row seat. Fantastic for that. You touched upon in terms of how blockchain touches or the interaction or the association with governments. Over the last few years, we've probably seen a bit of a pushback from African governments with regards to blockchain technology, cryptocurrency. Why do you believe that has been the case? That's very interesting. Uh, psychologically, human beings, we tend to fear what we don't understand. That's, I, I think it's almost like that fight or flight, like, oh no, I'm seeing an incoming object in my space or in my government or in my, in my bureaucracy, whatever the case might be, or in my machinery of running a sound government that I understand. So when this foreign object is now being deployed into my space, I mean, it does trigger alarm bells on a psychological level. What is a healthy, sound government? in Africa or anywhere in the world, let's bring back to Africa. Is that government accountable to its people? Is that government transparent? Or does that government have something to hide? So if governments have something to hide, then blockchain is their worst enemy. And I, I would like to assume that my fellow African governments are tired of hiding and they would like to come out of hiding. That's why we put together the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. It's saying we are tired of sending value offshore. We are also tired of raising walls or, 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 or boundary walls in our borders. We want to lower our borders. We want to run sound, healthy economies. We want to be democratic. We want to be accountable. So maybe the initial knee-jerk reaction to particularly the cryptocurrency side of the blockchain family was perhaps ill-informed or ill-advised, or perhaps it was an emotional reaction. Irregardless of that, uh, uh, innovators have found a way to run a parallel crypto uh, economy, which is actually bad because we are seeing Western-based cryptocurrency uh, startups now coming into listings, now coming into IPOs, and I think one of them was was listed for about thirty-two billion US dollars with a valuation which is right up there with the Ubers of this world. Why is that not an African startup? So, dear African governments over there in that corner, do not shoot yourself in the foot 
and do not contradict yourself. Don't say that you are, you, are so, you are for transparency, you are for accountability, but when transparency comes to a cinema near you, you are bolting. Slow down, do your due diligence, reform yourself, rethink your policies, and co-create the Africa we want with the blockchain disruptors. After all, we are like, I mean, we are here to dispense medicine. You need to work with us so that together we can shape a more transparent Africa that is for Africans, not a non-transparent Africa that ships of value to some hidden uh, 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 powers offshore. So yeah, you've talked about in terms of the initial apprehension from African governments with regards to blockchain technology. Recently, we've seen the launch of the Pan-African Payments and Settlement System. Would you say this is a change in the right direction that African governments are finally embracing emergent technologies? Very, very interesting. I would say, you know, I recall being at the ABC conference uh, in Nigeria, I think it was last week, and one of my fellow blockchain experts on the panel was actually the leader of Patricia, the company that's using blockchain in the crypto sector. Actually, uh, when he was asked about uh, PASA, uh, the, the, the common payment uh, ecosystem for Africa being launched in a fanfare in a fanfare few weeks before. He went like, it's regrettable that the, 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 the other generation, referring to our uh, senior heads of state, it's regrettable that the other generation uh, attempted through PASA to solve a problem that was already being solved by blockchain. That was already being solved because think about ailing, ailing currencies on the continent. They, 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 there's all these fluctuations. Now, when you put fiat next to crypto, there are some really, really rewards to write home about. So he had hoped that policymakers and experts had co-created PASA to be inclusive of crypto. He seems to think, and I tend to agree with my colleague there, that sometimes because Africa is home to five generations, from the generation Z to the to the boomers, from the what do you call it, from the teenagers now that are in the workplace to those that are actually approaching hundred, we need to leverage the, the the capabilities and the thinking caps of these generations when we come through with things like PASA, so that we don't come with a new system that could have actually had more agility had we had the other voices and the other worldviews in the room. So yeah, PASA is a great leap towards digitizing and also, uh, what do you call it, creating common ground for payments on the continent. But maybe there's a few more boxes to be ticked when PASA won't just be a, a, a common payment system, but it will also become the most agile and the most immutable. So yes, message out there to the PASA custodians, blockchain needs to arrive in a cinema near you for us to really bulletproof our economies for maybe a hundred years to come rather than just being uh, trading with each other we need to trade with each other in a bulletproof environment fantastic so yeah, i guess you've painted a picture in terms of how we need to move forward so if we take that on board and move forward in terms of the future of africa where do you see africa in five years time from a blockchain perspective you know, in five years' time from now, firstly, as a company, we have what's called a 2030 BFF vision. We have that. So we shape that vision in line with where we see the, the, the blockchain sector and Africa shaking hands in the next five or 10 years. Because yes. if blockchain is the hammer, the identified nails are our land registries, 
We, we, we are home to 60% of global arable land, but we continue to import what? According to the Africa Development Bank, something north of 50 billion US dollars worth of food every year. By 2035, by 2025, that food import bill is expected to, 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 to clock the 100 billion US dollar milestone. And that's not a, a proud figure. So through blockchain, we are hoping to reverse those uh, unavoidable uh, outcomes by ensuring that we bolster food security first and foremost to ensure that our our, our smallholder farmers are allowed a seat at the economic dinner table. What do I mean by that? Africa is home to a lot of opportunity, but a lot of wastage in the food sector. Between Nigeria and South Africa, among other economies, from, from crop harvest to the dinner table, 35 to 50% of crops are actually wasted. They are lost. That is a wastage that Africa cannot afford to continue to tolerate or entertain or live in the blind spot. So we need to evolve the informal economy and the mainstream economy must shake hands within a blockchain ready environment. So adoption in the land registry in, 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 in Nigeria for one, there's still a lot of land that is quite contested as crown land, meaning it's in the hands of the government. So it, it kind of like hampers investment, hampers business, and it dampens the atmosphere because people are, are, are holding back from investing or holding back from working hard when they don't own the land. They're just renting excuse me, or leasing the land. So those land registry legacy that we have, not just in Nigeria, in the rest of the continent must be repaired. Those supply chains that tend to favor offshore players by dumping value out there while leaving peanuts on our African shores have to be. So across supply chain, food security, land registry, fashion and beauty, which is a major employer, we are seeing uh, adoptions that are going to take off within the next five or 10 years ahead of the population doubling in 2035. That's incredible vision, Shadrach. Where do you see yourself and Coronet in five years' time? You know what? Even though we are started and what do you call it, and headquartered in South Africa, in the last three years, we have worked very hard. If I look at in retrospect in my review mirror, we have worked very hard to drive a pan-Africa vision. And we've, uh, we've done a bit of travel, a travel across the east, across, across the western parts. And even now we've got a Mauritius trip coming up. Why are we traveling? Blockchain requires diplomacy because it's a team sport. Blockchain requires a, a, what do you call it, a mindset shift away from them and us, meaning government and startups, meaning that country and that country. So we couldn't implement a blockchain from Johannesburg. We've been traveling quite a bit, creating and cultivating an ecosystem that is paving way for our blockchain disruptions across beauty supply chains, across food security supply chains, and of course, across fashion. Uh, uh, lo and behold, Africa is home to a very colorful fashion sector that is untapped while we allow the, the imports from the east and elsewhere to populate our store shelves. So we are seeing fashion, 
food and beauty being our priority in the next five years as we really uh, implement the free trade uh, zone or the free trade agreement in an Afrocentric way, adapting into the localities where we are actually setting up coronet in all these countries where we've been traveling to. So we see a coronet that is very much embedded into the local economies that we now call home and embedded into the tallest of pain points that affect even the weakest of people in the economies that we call home. And you know what, Shadrach, with your knowledge, passion and purpose, you will achieve all of that. Thank you kindly. Quote of the week. As people, we often have quotes, mantras, you know, as Africans, African proverbs or affirmations that keep us going when times are hard. Yeah. I'm sure you must have one that you can share with us today. That is a good one. I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of uh, common ones that come to mind. Uh, there is that popular version or in different version that until the lion can write or speak, the, 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 the story of the hunt or the hunting experience will always glorify the hunter. I'm thinking that with the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement now in full swing, with blockchain now in proximity, and with the youth now actually pushing their way into the corridors of power to say, let us co-create the Africa that we will end up with, that we will inherit. I think it's about time that we acknowledge that maybe that lion is not wanting to speak anymore, but it's about to shout uh, uh, its own story and its own version of events. Maybe not now, but into the future that we want. Fantastic. That's a great way of putting it, Shadrach. And as we're coming to the end of our conversation, do you have any closing remarks and final calls to action to Africans who are interested in the blockchain technology, the blockchain space, or even non-Africans who are just interested in business in Africa, the developments that are happening in Africa, whether it's socially, economically, politically? Any closing remarks and final calls to action? That's a good question. You know, I think Africans, we are at a crossroad right now. We are at a crossroads to make some very critical decisions. African countries or African economies, if they refuse to send out their best of people to go offshore, to London, to New York, to Dubai and elsewhere, then we as a continent, we risk not harnessing global best practice in the various industries where we want to increase our height to become taller. But it's not without a risk. If we send them away, what if they don't come back? What if they don't come back? What if they lose hope in the, in, in the African dream or the African vision? So it's that part where we find ourselves at an intersection whereby you, you, you do it, you may be damned, you don't do it, you may be damned. And so that is a message to African government that reconsider this, this, this reckless talks around the brain drain. Maybe it's not a brain drain. Maybe it's global best practice. And while at it, while they're away at Harvard, while they're away at Cambridge or Oxford, and while they're away reshaping global economies offshore maybe you need to clean up your house and do some housekeeping to give them a reason to come back to come and add value into your economy that's a message to the government and to our brothers and sisters in the diaspora 
I think we, we have maybe uh, gotten off on the wrong foot uh, in terms of uh, uh, our African governments being a bit hostile towards each of you out there because, let's face it, we didn't give you a reason to stay most of the time. But as you're out there, I'm saying that now that AFCA, African Continental Free Trade, is into full swing, please uh, keep us top on your notification list to see what milestones we are ticking that might interest you and trigger and exhort us back. And as blockchain is helping to clean up house, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but in a year or two, perhaps you might be deserving of your vote as you vote not with your wallet and not with your, with your pen, but as you vote with your family and head back to come help us shape the Africa we want, because it's not going to take a policy, it's not going to take blockchain, it's going to take all Africans in every part of the world now being a united force, much similar to how the Chinese are united, how the West are united to shape the Africa we want. So there's a homework to do on the government, there's a homework to do in terms of us powering trade, but also be on the lookout. Keep us on a speed dial out there. Our beloved diaspora, we love you. We might have not gotten off on the wrong foot, but we hope that we get it right so that your, 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 your what do you call it? Your capabilities can now be plowed back into shaping a new, emerged, stronger Africa. I have to say, Shadrach, as someone from the diaspora, that yep. closing remark and final call to action definitely resonated with me. So thank you. Uh, thank you kindly. Thank you kindly. Uh, and, and also much appreciated for the audiences who have listened uh, 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 this far. Hopefully they're interacting in the comments. Hopefully they are reaching out. Hopefully they're helping to co-create value in areas where you and myself might have not even tapped into those. So we appreciate everyone who has listened and continues to listen to this movement. That is a great way to close today's conversation thank you shadrach for giving us your energy your enthusiasm painting a picture of africa's future a future of transparency collaboration and one of adding value no matter where you are whether you're on the continent or outside of the continent it's been an extremely forward thinking and futuristic conversation and it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Shadrach. Thank you kindly. Thank you kindly to you and the audiences. Thank you to everyone who has listened and stay tuned. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share or tell a friend about it. You could also rate, review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Thank you and see you next week for the Unlocking Africa podcast.